We are continuing our series today called, come on, I got to turn it back on. There we go. We're continuing our series today called The Unexpected Ramifications of the King's Authority. We're going to end this series next week. And believe it or not, I am going to talk about plumbing next week. So if that surprises you, you might want to come. You might want to invite your friends. Uh, it's a hopeful message, and I hope that you'll get a lot of hope out of it. But that will round out our series on Jesus' authority. Today's message I am calling the Assimilation Complication. A subtitle might help. The subtitle is called The Scary Reason the U.S. Church is Declining. I'm going to identify that today, and I'm also going to uh, give you a tool to help you overcome that decline. Uh, to get this started, it might uh, help to tell a little story about my background. I, most of you know that until I was about 14 years old, I lived in the middle of a pasture. Okay, I was the ultimate hick. I grew up in the middle of a, a cow pasture, I had bulls in the backyard, cows and calves in the front yard. It's a half mile walk to get on the school bus through the pasture. Uh, even still, I was like every other little boy, pre-adolescent boy, I had a clubhouse. My own clubhouse where I was in charge, and I was proud of it. This, however, is not what my clubhouse looked like. This is a clubhouse for a golf course, I believe. I took this off the internet several weeks ago, but uh, that's what I thought of my clubhouse. I was proud of it, but most people didn't see it this way. Most people saw it more like this. Now, that is an old shanty, a shack that somebody had abandoned, and I just nailed a few more boards up on it, and I called that my clubhouse. And the first thing I did when I got it ready to move into was I did what every other little boy does. I put up a sign. No entry. I put up a sign, me only. We like that in our world, especially as little kids, don't we? We want to be in charge. We want to be in control. And mostly, we want to control who we hang around with. We want to control who we interact with, and we want those people to be just like us. So most little boys put up a sign on their clubhouse that says, no girls allowed. And just so you know that I know, and to give equal time, I know most little girls at some point hang a sign on their bedroom door that says, no boys allowed. Because we want to control, don't we? We want to be comfortable. We want people that are just like us. And then we grow up. And nothing really changes. We still want to be around people that are similar to us. We want people that are in the same age group, people that are of the same race. Uh, oftentimes for Christians, we even restrict ourselves to family. Many times a Christian, once they've been a believer for a couple of years, the only people they ever interact with are those people they have to interact with at work, their family, and their church. Because we like having people around that are just like us. Very rarely do we ever interact with somebody who's from a culture that is so different from ours that they cannot understand what we're doing, and we can't understand what they're doing. And we like it that way. We want it to stay that way. Jesus, however, when he came and started his brand new kingdom, he changed a few things. And in our story today, we see that Jesus uses his authority as the king to call a new kind of subject into his kingdom. The story is from Matthew chapter 9, the passage that Mike just read. Uh, if you remember the 
the timeline of Matthew, earlier in this chapter, Jesus has been teaching in his own home and four guys brought their friend who was totally paralyzed to be healed and they couldn't get in the house. So they chop a hole in the roof. And Jesus uses the opportunity to heal the man and show that by his healing that proves that he has the authority to forgive sins. But that left him with a little problem. Now they've basically turned Jesus' house into a construction site. So Jesus gets up and leaves and he starts walking around Capernaum and he starts looking at the people that he sees and he sees this guy in the tax collector's booth. And he instantly sees an opportunity to call a new kind of disciple from a new kind of resource. Now he looks at Matthew in this tax collector's booth and most of the rabbis in his culture would have completely overlooked Matthew because Matthew is a tradesman. Matthew probably learned his skill from either his father, or he might have learned his skill by being apprenticed to another um, tradesman, but they didn't go to college to learn how to be accountants. They learned it from someone else, and they would have been considered tradesmen in their culture. But more than that, he was also considered a trader, because the taxes he collected were going to Rome. And people saw Rome as the enemy, and that meant he was collaborating with the enemy. And Jesus just walks up to this tax collector's booth, looks at Matthew and says, follow me. And Matthew recognized instantly the traditional call of a rabbi for a new disciple. And he did exactly that. He got up and followed Jesus. There's no indication that he put the money back in the safe. There's no indication that he closed the ledgers. There's even no indication that he locked the door when he left. He just got up and went. And when he did, he was so happy that he decided he was going to throw a party. He threw a banquet. And when you're a tax collector in that time period, if you're going to invite people to a banquet, who are you going to invite? You're going to invite people like you. So there were other tax collectors and quote-unquote sinners there. That's when the Pharisees got involved. Jesus' old friends. They, They said... Notice they didn't say it to Jesus. They said it to the other disciples. Uh, I think they were trying to sow dissension in the ranks. Doesn't it bother you that your teacher eats with tax collectors and sinners? But Jesus heard them. And he says, now wait a minute, guys. Let's not go there. This is my reverse slandered version of the passage, okay? Don't go there, guys. We both know that well people don't need a doctor, but the sick do. And you need to know right up front that I did not come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to be my disciples. And that's an awful comfort for all of us, isn't it? That none of us have to accomplish a certain mark, a certain degree of holiness. But any character, there's really only one character quality that is required. And these people had it. And that's the character quality of humility. Their willingness to recognize that, in a sense, they are sick and they need a physician. Their willingness to recognize that they are sinners. And they're not so proud that they're going to try to hide it at the expense of following Jesus. So he's calling people from a new source. He's calling people with a new character. But he's also calling them with a new requirement. And we get that from the story of John's disciples chiming in. They jump in and say, now wait a minute. You guys are eating. You're having a banquet. But 
as John's disciples, we're called to fast. Why do we and the Pharisees have to fast and you guys get to eat good? Then Jesus gives those three little stories to help him understand. He talks about the marriage. He says, nobody goes to a marriage celebration and fasts. When you go to a marriage celebration, you gorge because it's good food and there's something to celebrate. And he says, I'm here. I'm worth celebrating. The kingdom has arrived. That's worth celebrating. And then he talks about the garment. And it took me a while to figure this out, but somebody finally explained it to me that they mostly wore wool. And when you wash wool, it shrinks. So if you've got an old garment that's already been washed and it's shrunk up and it's torn and you put a brand new patch on it, when you wash it again, that brand new patch is going to shrink more than the old garment. And it's going to pull away and tear it. You're going to have a worse tear in your garment than you started with. The old ways of patching things won't work. And then he talks about the wineskin, and it's basically the same lesson. You don't pour new wine, which hasn't fermented all the way yet, into an old wineskin, because as it ferments, the gases are going to expand, and that thing's going to blow up. You're going to lose your wineskin, and you're going to lose your wine. But you put new wine in a new wineskin. And so the new requirement that Jesus is recognizing in this is that his new followers, his new kind of subject has to be adaptable. As believers in the United States, sometimes we aren't. Sometimes we look at things and say, well, that's the way we've always done it. That's the way we've always done it, and I'm comfortable with that, and I don't want to try something new. But I want you to just imagine with me. What would it be like if I came in here next Sunday, and I had a little table sitting right here in the middle of the aisleway, and I had on top of it a, a, a projection carousel with all those little slides in it, you know, five or six carousels of slides, you would think, what is this, throwback weekend? Or worse yet, what if I went over to the, the other building here and got the overhead projector out, and we set it up down here, and somebody had to sit here and flip out the slides for the songs for us? We'd say, well, that's not relevant to our culture today, is it? That's not modern technology. And that's why I use the PowerPoint, because that's the modern way to do it. But you'll notice the message never changes. Even in Jesus' time, he was still saying, God loves his people. God loves his creation. God loves you so much that he wants all of you to be part of what I'm doing. Now, as we look at this, we see that Jesus is calling a new kind of servant or a new kind of subject into his kingdom from new sources, new, with new character, and with new requirements, new, new adaptability. Um, we see that Jesus, as the new king, is basically calling a new kind of follower. A different kind of follower than most rabbis would have. And that has some ramifications for us in our culture today when we look at the new kinds of followers Jesus is calling still. And as Jesus calls a new kind of follower into his kingdom, frequently that means we're going to have new kinds of friends I mean, we tend to just read our Bible in little chunks, don't we? we? We don't have this tendency to take the whole story into account. And when we take Matthew's whole story into account, it's really amazing. When you look at Matthew's day when he was called into Jesus' kingdom, he was a Roman collaborator. And as soon as he was called into Jesus' kingdom, he suddenly became friends with Simon the Zealot. And if you don't know what a zealot is, think rebel. Matthew was in mind of making a profit off of the Roman occupation. The zealots were in mind of running the Romans out. 
Suddenly they're friends. Matthew was wealthy. That was the whole point of being a tax collector, was to gain wealth. But as soon as Jesus called him, he became friends with James and John, the fishermen. And if you have a trouble, trouble understanding why that would be a friendship issue, just imagine the smell. And then later, Jesus would die. He would rise again from the dead. He would reveal himself to his followers. He would found the church. And Matthew, who had become a believer in Jesus Christ, would suddenly become friends with Paul, the inquisitor. You see, when Jesus starts his new kingdom, he starts making people friends who normally would have been enemies. He starts making people friends who normally would have had nothing in common. He starts making people friends who never would have been before. So, as Jesus is making new followers and we begin to have new kinds of friends, how do we go about that? Well, I want to give you a couple of little hints and see if you can pull something out of this that might apply to your life. First, you might need to look at new resources. Typically, a Christian who's been a believer for a couple of years, I said this a little bit ago, uh, socialize with their people at their work and only as much as they have to. They socialize with their family and they socialize with the people at church. We may have to be creative at finding new sources. That may be a role for the church as they start new ministries that we might rub elbows with new people and begin to be friendly towards others that we haven't been before. We might have to look at people's character in a different way. Frequently, Christians look at people's character as an excuse to stay away from them. We may have to look at people's character not as someone to avoid, but as someone who in Jesus' eyes is raw material. Someone that Jesus might have a place for in his kingdom. And then there's the new requirement. And this is where I want to go back to the subtitle of this message. The frightening reason why the church in the United States is dwindling. You know, in the United States, uh, somebody did a survey and found that 95% or so, depending on which survey you listen to, 95% of the churches will identify themselves as friendly places. And when they interview the visitors who go there, Sometimes as low as 50% of the people who visit will say they're friendly places. So I'm going to propose something today. This isn't original with me, just full disclosure. I borrowed this from the Alliance Church in Tacoa Tacoa Falls in Georgia. Uh, They're the ones who are teaching me this as I learn this along with you. But uh, we need to stop being so friendly. That may be a shock to some people, but the church in the United States is a friendly place in our mind. We, when somebody walks in, we speak to them. We ask them how they're doing. We ask them if they're from around here. We ask them about their family. We ask them about their work. We're friendly. But let's stop being friendly. And let's start making friends. There's a difference. There's a difference that from being friendly and making friends. And most of us, there's so much of a difference in that that we don't have any idea how to do that. How do we do that? I mean, I know how to get along with my family. I know how to avoid the people at work that I don't like. And I hang around with church, but I can sit where I want to so I can control who I hang around with. How do we do that? Well, I borrowed this, like I said, from the church in Tacoa Falls. And and we're going to look now at how to bless a new friend. 
And yes, it's an acrostic. And yes, I am still learning. So we're going to learn together on how this works. It always starts as everything in the Christian life should with prayer. We begin with prayer. And I'm praying daily, and I challenge you to pray also, that God will bring three or four new people into your life that aren't exactly like you, that might be just a little bit different than you. Somebody that you could make a difference in their life instead of them making a difference in our life. And after we've prayed and after God has revealed that, then listen I don't know how many Christians, and I don't know where this got into the American church, but so many Christians got the used car salesman mentality. I've just met this new person. I've got to sell them the gospel. I've got to get their name on the bottom line, and I've got to move on to the next sale. Take some time to listen. <clears throat> listen to what their life is like. And a way to do that, the way the church in Tekoa Falls says it, is to eat with them. Now, I personally, if I was going to change this, I would change that E to entertain them. Because in back east where they are, they would invite somebody out for coffee or out to dinner or out to lunch, and they would share some time together. But in our culture, it's really more typical to invite someone into your home. To entertain them, just invite them into your home. Then when they get their color back in their face, then you can get to know them a little bit better by spending that time with them. And as you talk with them and you listen to them and you ask them questions and you explore their life, you'll hear things like, not quite ready for that change that's coming up. Or I'm not doing well with something that's going on in my life. Or I'm not making friends as fast as I want to. Or I miss my family back home. And as you hear those things, you will begin to be led by the Holy Spirit on how you can make their life a little bit better, how you can serve their need. And after you've done those first four steps, then you've earned their respect, you've earned their trust to the point where you can share what you know. And I would say, uh, just as a good rule of thumb, save your advice until you get to share Because sometimes advice is off-putting. Sometimes advice comes off as a little bit holier than thou. Well, we don't realize as believers, and frankly, what unbelievers don't realize is that this is the kind of friend they need. This is really the kind of friend they're looking for. And when they see this, they're surprised by it. And it's a real blessing to them. And so the outcome becomes... As we bless others, that we learn to bless like this, our church will have a greater assimilation, a greater return rate of visitors. But we'll have more members, but we'll also have more friends in our life. I don't know of anybody that has too many friends. So while we recognize and we try to live out this unexpected ramification, yeah, I'm a public speaker, this unexpected ramification of the king's authority, we recognize that we begin to be a blessing to the people around us. And that brings glory to our God. Pray with me. Father, we want to bring you glory. We want to do well in your eyes. And we have lived up to our expectation of being friendly. 
But we recognize a new king. We recognize that you have the authority to invite different kind of subjects into your kingdom. And we long to be part of the work that you're doing. And so we ask you, help us to transition from a good thing, being friendly, to a greater thing of being friends. Help us to bless our community and the people that we interact with in a way that until now we haven't even imagined. And ultimately, our king, who has done the calling, will get the glory. And we pray it in his name. Amen.